Yeah, yeah. Ball so hard, you better believe me, it's scary. It's basketball at the bar with Calvin and Barry. So put a tip in the jar, cause these dudes can really fill it up. Whether it's buckets you need enough just a beer in a cup. We're here for fresh conversations, got some delicious libations. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notifications. My boys got you covered like you being guarded by pay. From the glove to the cloth and everyone else in between. Calvin and Barry got everything that you need. So sit back, relax, because we're starting the show. It's basketball at the bar, grab your drinks and let's go. Yeah, yeah. Grab a drink and let's go. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notifications. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notifications. Let's get it. Welcome to Basketball at the Bar. Join us live every weekday for the best NBA podcast here on YouTube, where the takes are hot and the drinks are cold. There's no dress code, and you can take us wherever you go. So pull up a stool, drop a like, and don't forget to subscribe. This is Basketball at the Bar. Grab your drinks and let's go. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Shout out to Progressive G for blowing us up in the chat. also want to give a shout out to Matthew for commenting on all of our videos all weekend long. Had some fun reading some of your comments, so thank you, Matthew. Also want to apologize to anyone that was waiting for us on Friday or on Monday. Calvin and I were in Waikiki having a wonderful time watching some basketball, getting some cold beverages. Uh, so that's another reason why, if you are subscribed, you need to hit that notification bell so you get notified every time we put out a new video. Calvin, happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, Barry. It's good to be back. It is good to be back. We flew back this morning. Uh, very, very short trip, but it was a lot of fun. We're here back in the studio, and we have a full schedule for you guys today. First off, we're going to dive into the Doug Christie news. Doug Christie is returning as an assistant coach for the Sacramento Kings. Fake Clay gets banned from the Chase Center for Life. Kenny Atkinson agrees to be a head coach. Montrez Harrell is facing some uh, charges. Nuggets trade green to OKC. And we will recap both game four and game five before we dive into Q&A. So we got a busy, busy show here, and uh, we don't have a game till Thursday. So we'll get to talk about that tomorrow and uh, Thursday. So, Calvin, let's just go ahead and get started here. First off, Doug Christie agrees to return to Sacramento as an assistant coach. Music I'm, to your ears, right? I'm very happy about this. <laughs> I was concerned, as a lot of people were in Sacramento, people that loved Doug Christie and loved what he brought to the team, was that after Alvin Gentry uh, was not returning as, as head coach, that maybe the assistant coaching tree might change. We did see some new faces, but Doug Christie is officially back. How's it feel? <laughs> well, it's a good move. I mean, look, Mike Brown has got to be a smart guy, right? You, you don't get to a position like this without a little bit of intelligence. And I think that his intelligence slash instincts probably told him, hey, this guy knows basketball, obviously. Yep. He's one of the best ambassadors for basketball in the city of Sacramento. The team loves him. The fans love him. Mm -hmm. This is a no-brainer to keep him on your staff. And he's a defensive-minded yeah. guy, just yeah. like Mike Brown. Shout-out to Ivan here. Ivan says, hoping Rico Hines also returns. 
Yeah, I, I really hope so. I really hope so. And then did I see some news about Alvin Gentry returning as part of a front office staff member? I was looking on the Kings staff, and they had him listed as a part of the staff, but it didn't say head coach. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on we'll with him. We'll have to follow up on that because I, I have not seen or heard anything about Alvin Gentry. All right, let's. Uh, you want to catch us up on the whole fake clay incident? <laughs> this is just kind of well. I've seen the guy in the past. It's not a. F- it's not funny what happened, but it's a funny story to me. Um, in case you don't know who this guy is, there's a man Dawson Gurley, who has been portraying himself as Clay Thompson. He is known in the San Francisco area as Fake Clay Thompson has been doing this for a long time, like seven years, right, is what you yep. read. Uh, he's got a YouTube channel, a, a Twitter account, all of it, and, and he just goes around the San Francisco Bay Area pretending to be Clay Thompson, and, and people definitely think that he is the real deal. No more evident than before Game 5 yesterday. Apparently he walked past five layers of security guards who did not check him for an ID or even question him at all walked right out onto the court and shot around by himself for about 10 minutes before somebody realized that that wasn't clay thompson out there he is now as a result being banned from the chase center for life he allegedly spent ten thousand dollars on tickets to attend game five of the nba finals i have no idea where his seats were supposed to be according to Gurley, he is not being refunded for that Mm-hmm. for those tickets either. So lost $10,000, banned from the Chase Center for life, can never go to a game again. But according to him, it was worth it. Yeah, quote from him, was it worth it? Yes, I was an NBA player for 10 minutes. So interesting story there. It's got to be interesting for Clay Thompson, right, thinking yeah. about this whole issue, that there's going to be a picture of him on the wall saying banned <laughs> from Chase Center for life. Interesting story there, but you guys go check out his YouTube channel if you are interested. And as Progressive G says, yes, Alvin Gentry is returning for the Kings front office as vice president of basketball engagement. Do you know what that means? I do not know what that means. Okay. Well, he's part of the team now, so that's that's good. He is returning. Good to see that. Good, good to see that. All right. Next up, Kenny Atkinson agrees to become the next head coach of the Charlotte Hornets. This is a guy that many Kings fans did want to be the next head coach of the Sacramento Kings, but he chose not to even interview. Calvin, are you reading further into this situation, or is this just a Kenny wanted to stay on the East Coast and he's got a pretty nice job with with one of the Ball brothers and Michael Jordan? Well, I'm still not sure whether, and anybody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm still not so sure that, it was the Kings who didn't interview him. Yeah. It wasn't the other way around that he didn't want to be interviewed by Sacramento. I think the Kings just didn't interview him. So um, it, I don't, I'm not going to read any more into that. I think Kenny Atkinson is a great coach, and I think the Hornets made a fantastic decision. Yep. I mean, his track record speaks for itself. He took a team in Brooklyn that was in the middle of a full rebuild and made them not only a competitive team but a playoff team. He improved their defense tremendously. I think mm-hmm. they went from like 23rd in defensive efficiency to ninth under his uh, coaching tenure there. And he is credited with being a great young player developer uh, or a young uh, you know, star builder, basically, right? Like D'Angelo Russell yeah. has all these glowing things to say about him. 
And now he gets to go to a team that has a bright, shining, st- young point guard star mm-hmm. that he can kind of help mold and build, and hopefully he makes their, their defense better as well. And, and if that happens, Horn- the Hornets are on a really good uh, trajectory right now. Yeah, I think this Minus is what's happening with Montrose here. <laughs> I think this is a great move for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, I like Kenny a lot, and as, as Calvin mentioned, yes, he's helped some of these younger players. He basically made D'Angelo Russell an all-star. That was the only all-star game D'Angelo Russell has made. Um, I could see something similar with, uh, you know, the ball kid. Not that he's the same level as D'Angelo Russell because I think his ceiling is much higher, but uh, just having a guy that can, you know, instill trust in your team in your teammates and help develop young guys and just help them grow together hopefully charlotte holds on to this guy for a while because all these young four-year deal that he signed yeah all these young players all they really need is just some consistency in in like a similar voice that's there right so good move by charlotte you expect them to be in the playoffs next season tough question um they definitely have a, a shot if they can you know, I don't expect them to make a huge leap defensively from one year to the next year, but if they can play a little bit better defense, they were one of the best offensive teams in the league all year. They've got a very high-flying offense. they got to figure out what they're doing with uh, Miles Bridges as well, Yep. whether or not they're going to pay some big money to bring him back, but as well as a couple other roster moves. I don't know. Gordon Hayward is a question mark for me. Mm-hmm. for their team but they, they've got a, a good young core and now a, a really solid coach so they they definitely they just missed you know the playoffs this year barely by the playing tournament so definitely yeah. have a good chance yeah i think so interesting offseason for them that's for sure uh you mentioned Montrez harrell what's going on with him Montrez is in a little bit of trouble uh he is facing a potential felony marijuana charge he was pulled over while driving in richmond kentucky Um, on May 12th for uh, allegedly driving behind a vehicle too closely. Upon searching the car after he was pulled over, officers discovered three pounds of marijuana in a vacuum-sealed bag. He is now being charged with trafficking less than five pounds. If convicted on that count, he could face up to five years in prison. So this is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, this is a huge deal for him. Uh I don't know why you're breaking the law and tailgating people when you got stuff in the car, but uh, unfortunate situation for Montrez Harrell. What are you doing with three pounds of weed, man? I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We see this over and over again yeah. between tons of athletes, and it's it's unfortunate because yes, it is a double standard, right? But at the same time, like you are under a microscope because you are a famous person with millions of dollars. So it, it, it's you got to be smarter. Got to be. You much do have smarter. to be smarter. Got to be much smarter. But uh, I think we've all been, um, you know, young and in a position where we felt like it, maybe invincible is not the right word, but That's you a good just word. don't expect anything to ever happen to you. Yeah. I mean, he he was pulled over because he was tailgating, right? It's not because yeah. he was swerving all over the road or anything like that. I'm not condoning, you know anything that he's doing here i also think there are worse things in the world than finding three pounds of marijuana in somebody's car but it's still you know against the law and he's got to deal with it now you know what he said when he got pulled over Uh (laughs) uh-oh 
<laughs> Mr. Uh-oh. Mr. Uh-oh strikes again. Yeah, unfortunate for him. Hopefully we'll see Montrez Harrell back on the court and he can get it resolved. It's, it's an unfortunate situation. Next up, the Denver Nuggets are trading forward Jamichael Green and a protected 2027 first-round pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder for pick 30 in this month's NBA draft in two future second-round picks. The Thunder still have picks 2, 12, and 34, and the Nuggets now have pick 21 and 30. Calvin, what do you think about this deal? Uh, I think that this is a a mutually beneficial deal. Um, This is clearly about money for Denver. Yes, they are adding a late first-round pick, um, but they're saving themselves, or rather being able, giving themselves the option to use their trade exception and their um, mid-level mid-level exception by which are both six point four million dollars and eight point two million dollars for the trade exception. So this gives them m- a lot more flexibility for a team that is definitely in the win now mode. Right, they're getting some of their big mm-hmm. guys healthy again. And they're looking for options or ways to improve this team and build some more talent around the Joker, uh, you know, before his championship window closes. If you're Oklahoma City, uh, you know, this just gives you another versatile player (laughs) to use. You don't necessarily need the 30th pick when you've got three other first-round picks. So uh, why not just bump it away, you know? Yeah, it's an interesting and trade get for somebody me. somebody that can play for you right away. Yeah, it's an interesting trade. I think Jermichael Green makes like $8 million or something like that. He, oh, yes, season. he is opting in. He has a player option for $8 million, $8.2 million, which he is going yeah. to exercise here. And so you're basically trading a 30th pick for a future pick protected in 2027. You're basically saying, Nuggets, I don't think you're going to be in the NBA Finals in 2027. <laughs> Yeah. So we're moving up here with a first round pick and two future second round picks. Interesting deal, but the Thunder somehow, Calvin, they find a way to add more picks, which is weird. <laughs> but hey, second rounders this time though, not first. They already have enough first rounders. No, they're giving up two second rounders and a first, but they're getting a future future first. Oh, that's right. So yeah. Yeah. I guess they're just stacking up first round picks or trying to move their their 30th pick to, like, pick 25 by using two future second-rounders. Weird stuff going on in Oklahoma City, but, uh, you know, we have the draft not very far away here. So uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing some more action happening. Kings might be moving up to number two. All right, so we are done with news. Let's jump here into what we're really here to talk about, Calvin, and that's the NBA Finals. As I said in the intro, we missed Friday's show and Monday's show. We were in Waikiki having way too much fun. We didn't want to expose you guys to all the fun we were having. So we decided to take a little bit of a break. We were able to watch both games. So first off, Friday's game, June 10th, the Golden State Warriors head to Boston for game four. And they win in Boston, 107-97. Steph Curry has a magnificent game coming back from that foot sprain. 43 points for him, 23 points for Jason Tatum. And then we had another game on Monday. But let's talk about Friday's 
game first, Calvin. 17 points for Andrew Wiggins, 18 for Clay Thompson, and 14 for Jordan Poole off the bench. I mentioned 23 for Tatum, 18 for Smart, 21 for Brown, and uh, 16 for Derek White off the bench. Boston falls in the fourth quarter to the Warriors. What were your first thoughts on this game? Steph Curry is a hell of a basketball player. That's probably number one. Yeah. Um, and also, we'll maybe talk more about this, you know, uh, when we analyze game five, but I guess you can kind of lump them together right now. The, the Warriors are beating the Celtics at their own game. Yep, they are. I mean, Golden State is a really good defensive team in their own right. They, they were the second, uh, the number two defense in the league for a reason, but... All we heard about, all I talked about when this series started was how great Boston is defensively. And they're doing a good job on the defensive end for Golden, uh, limiting Golden State. I mean, yes, Curry had 43 in this game, but they scored 107 as a team. And they're holding the Warriors to 105 points per game in the finals, which is, I think, 10 points per game fewer than they were averaging against the Mavericks in the Western Conference Finals. So Boston is doing the job on defense. But the Warriors are doing a better job, you could say, to Boston, frustrating them on the offensive end of the, of the court. Turnovers, of course, have been a huge issue uh, that we've talked about with Boston well before the NBA Finals, and it continues to be a problem. They had 18 more in Game 5 and really didn't show up in the first half. But the, the Warriors have been really, really sound defensively, especially guys like Andrew Wiggins, who has come up huge for them time and time again in the series yeah yeah you know game four was was interesting for me I I felt like Boston controlled the pace of the first three games of the series even though they got blown out in the third quarter of every single game and they did in this game as well I feel like Boston controlled the overall pace of most of the game and Golden State just pulled away at the third quarter and they closed it out this is the first game that I was watching that I was like Boston has no control over this game. Golden State is doing whatever they want. And like you said, they're playing into their hands. Golden State was in charge of this game. They win the third quarter again, and then they only allow 19 points to the Celtics in the fourth quarter. This, for me, was a real game changer. You know, you and I had talked about how game four is generally the most important game in a series. Sometimes it can be game five, but this was the game... The Golden State won in Boston. They tied the series, and they brought home court advantage back to Golden State. So this, for me, was the biggest win of the series. And it's with Draymond Green having two points, shooting one of seven from the field, two points from Otto Porter as a starter, and not really much from the bench outside of Jordan Poole. So, uh, you know, this was a disappointing loss for Boston. They didn't even score 100 points in this game. Yeah, they've failed to score 100 points in three, all three of their losses. But in three of the five games yep. uh, in this series, they've scored 116 and 120 in the two games that they won. So it, it just goes back to what I said, that the Warriors have done an amazing job of frustrating the primary ball handlers, first of all, Tatum and Brown. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy said something, I forget if it was game five or game four, but it, it made it, it was like a real eye-opening moment for me i was mm -hmm. like they they're forcing tatum and brown left for a reason every time I'm, i mean yes you always try to force somebody to their offhand or whatever but the 
the turnover rate for Tatum and for Brown when they drive left compared to right is ridiculously higher. Yeah, uh, you can just see it. They they have no space. Uh, they're very frustrated, from what I can tell. And Jason Tatum, I the last time we were on this show, I was saying he deserves more praise than he's getting. I still think that he is for where he's at in his career, how young he is. He finally made it to the big stage. He's playing well for them overall. Like he hasn't been the most efficient player, um, but he's done things that they've needed him to do in order to win games. He's got 95 turnovers in the postseason in 23 games. That's over four turnovers per game. Mm-hmm. That's not good. If they, he wants to win multiple championships in his career, he's got to change that stat. Yeah, definitely. First and definitely. This series is starting to turn into, you know, the experience is showing itself, and the inexperience with Boston is showing itself as well. And guys like Tatum and Brown, they're excited to get here to the big stage, the finals. But are they ready yet? It doesn't seem like it at this point. Anything else you want to mention about Game 4 before we dive into Game 5? Because Game 5 is really where this series took a turn for me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and when it's tied 2-2, it's going to take a dramatic turn either way, right? But yep. um, the only thing, uh, other thing I will say about Game 4 is all, f- besides talking about Boston's defense, the, the other thing that people talked about more than anything else before this series started was what? Curry. Steph Curry's yep. legacy. Yep. What kind of performance was he going to put on? Is he going to win NBA f- finals MVP, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And I said to you before game four started, this could be a career defining moment yeah, for coming Steph. back from the injury. Yep. And it was, he, he answered every question that you needed him to answer, follows it up with maybe his worst playoff game ever, but he, in a game that they had to have on the road, you can't afford to go down three, one in that situation. He was everything that the Warriors needed him to be. And he, and the reason why people are saying that, Steph is the top 10 player of all time. Yep, yep. Amazing game four by Steph Curry. And you're right. That is something that these all-time greats, they all have legacy games, multiple of them. That will definitely be a game that Golden State Warriors fans and many fans will be watching uh, for a really, really long time. All right, let's talk about game five and Steph Curry's not-so-great performance. Seven of 22 from the field, 0 of 9 from three-point range, 16 points for him in this game. But the Warriors win 104-94. This is the first game back in the Bay since the two games in Boston. Golden State wins the third quarter again. Uh, or no, sorry. This is the only the only game where they don't win the third quarter in this game. Yeah. Um, but they still win the game. They still control the pace. 27 points for Jason Tatum. 10 rebounds. 10 points for Robert Williams. We see him get uh, injured in this game. He seemed to be okay. He continued to play. 20 points for Marcus Smart. 18 for Jalen Brown. Not much bench production from Boston in this game. And then for, for Golden State, 15 off the bench for Gary Payton. 14 off the bench for Jordan Poole. And then 26 for Wiggins. 16 for Curry. 21 for Clay Thompson. Wiggins is the big hero in this game, right? He is, absolutely. He was the MVP of that game for me. Uh, just a total, came up uh, huge for them, absolutely huge. The one game that, that Steph Curry in this finals really did not do much offensively, he was there to pick up the slack, got mm-hmm. to the basket at will, 
Um, and he was, again, great on the defensive end, a double-double in this game. You can argue that that's Andrew Wiggins' best game of his pro career, given all the, the circumstances. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <clears throat> Career-defining moment for him. My biggest takeaway from this game is the fact that the Warriors won another game. They hold Boston, like you mentioned, under 100 points again. Steph Curry has a horrible game, doesn't make a three-pointer. I don't remember what the stat was we were talking about after the game. Four years yeah. of games, 233 consecutive games played that he had made a three-point shot. Couldn't buy a three in this game. Draymond Green, 0 for 2 from 3. Otto Porter, 0 for 2 for 3. Andrew Wiggins, 0 for 6 from three-point range. Steph Curry, 0 from 9 from three-point range. Pretty, pretty bad three-point shooting for the Warriors here. You would have thought this game was in Boston. You would have thought that the rim was two inches higher <laughs> than it was. But the Warriors still come away with a victory here. Calvin, this to me, I had told you when we were watching the game, right? I said whoever wins game five is going to win the series. Yes. I think Golden State takes a commanding lead. Even though it's only one game, it's 3-2 now. It's a commanding lead. They only need to win one more game to win a championship. And if they lose the next game in Boston, they have game seven at home in Golden State. On the other hand, we have seen Boston go to game seven before. Yes. They've pushed a game seven and they've won in game seven. So I'm not writing Boston off completely, but I think Golden State has an excellent shot here to add another ring to the cabinet. Well, if you're not going to write them off, I will. I think Boston lost the title with this game, game five. This game in general was kind of an anomaly. I mean, you already mentioned the shooting was not just for Steph, but for the Warriors as a team, nine of 40 from three as a team. That's 22 and a half percent. The turnovers, again, were a huge problem for Boston. Boston also misses 10 free throws in this game, yep. 21 of 31. Tatum missed four of those 10 free throws. Uh, and Steph, you know, doesn't make a three. Like like we said, when's the last time that happened? Four full seasons ago, basically, of games. So if you're going to – Boston just didn't show up from the beginning of this game. 16 points in the first quarter. They did not have any type of urgency coming out in the biggest game of their – not just the season, but a lot of these guys' lives. Game mm -hmm. five of, a, of the NBA Finals tied 2-2 on the road. You have to come out with a better effort than that. That they just did not look uh, put together whatsoever. Then they come out of halftime, and they actually win the third quarter, and I'm thinking, wow, they might actually be able to steal this game. Uh, and the Warriors come back with a, another good fourth quarter. Andrew Wiggins again, time after time. Big stop on Jason Tatum, who was the only guy really that could do anything for Boston in that game, and producing on the offensive end as well. Um, I, I just don't see how the Celtics can recover from a performance like that, knowing you're going on back home. Yes, that's a good thing, but you have to face a team that is one win away from another championship. Yep. And Steph Curry's coming off maybe the worst, definitely the worst playoff game probably of his career. Oh, of nine from three. Mm -hmm. That does not bode well for the, for the Boston Celtics who, like you mentioned, even if they're able to pull out <laughs> a victory, they've got to go right back to San Francisco and do it again for game seven. Yeah, and just looking here at the team stats has got to be really deflating for Boston, right? You're like, yes. okay, we won the rebounding category, and Golden State only shot 22% from three-point range. 
We kept them under 105 points, and we lose the game. You got to win that game. You lose the game. Turnovers were huge. 18 turnovers for Boston in this game as opposed to only seven for Golden State. That is the difference to me in this game. If you, if they shoot a little bit better from three and they turn the ball over twice as many times, uh, Golden State still wins this game. So they were able to make up for that horrible three-point shooting by limiting the turnovers in this game. And yep. uh, that that's it, dude. It's Yeah, I guess you're calling it over too. So are you calling it over in game six or game seven? Because we have Thursday uh, and Sunday. And that's tough, yeah. That's tough. I, I don't know. I, I mean, of course, is it possible for Boston to come back and win two games in a row? Yes, it, it definitely is. But I, I just, given the way that these last two games have gone, all the momentum right now is with the Warriors. I expect Curry to come back. He's one game away from that, not only just another trophy, but I'm sure he will win finals MVP if he comes out and has, you know, 25 or more points in game six. He's going to be highly, highly motivated. It, mm-hmm. it will be a very, very difficult thing for Boston to do. Plus, the one of the biggest problems for Boston is something we talked about earlier. It's not stopping the Warriors, which they've done a pretty good job of overall for this series. It's scoring. It, yep. It's executing on offense. They have been really, really rough at times. They've had to rely heavily on Marcus Smart and Al Horford to shoot them out of slumps mm-hmm. in games which they can do, but again, that that's not what Boston is trying or looking to do as option number one offensively every time. So they've got to figure out a way to get Jason Tatum going early in this game. The Warriors have been really, really great at crowding him, get, not giving him much space, and Andrew Wiggins has been so good on him. So I, I, I do think that the, the Warriors are going to pull this out, though, thanks to, the la- to games four and five. That, uh, they completely took control of this series. Yeah, shout out to Techno Peasant here. I see you in the chat. Dubs missed 14 threes in a row. Yeah, that was crazy. They couldn't make anything for a while. But to Calvin's point, neither could the Boston Celtics. That's the biggest problem. You mentioned Al Horford. I thought that was a great point because when we started this series, he was my X factor for, yeah. for the Boston Celtics. Looking here at the five games he's played here in the finals, game one was huge for him, right? 26 points. Shot 75% from the field, 75% from three-point range. They win. The only other game they win in this series, he scores 11 points, shoots 71% from the field. All the rest of these games, it's 25% shooting, 33% shooting, 50% shooting. He fails to score double digits. So if Boston wants to win, like you said, they need to score more. And that scoring needs to come from guys like Al Horford and Marcus Smart. Another interesting thing that you and I talked about, I think it was yesterday during the game, was I was like, Boston doesn't really have like a go-to guy at the end of the game, right? Like you have Jason Tatum, you have Jalen Brown, but like there's not one guy where you're like, he is getting the shot at the end of the game and he's going to make it, like Steph Curry, right? Like you know Steph Curry is going to be the guy with the ball in his hands at the very end of the game. I don't know if Boston has that guy or figured out who that alpha male is yet. Yeah, I think it's more the the end of that sentence. It's not that they don't have that guy. They just haven't they haven't been in the these situations enough yet for one of those two to assume that role of the alpha male. Like yeah. uh, everybody believes it should be Jason Tatum, I would think, you know, unless you like 
Jalen Brown more. Um, and, and I don't know if there's necessarily a right or wrong answer there. But, yeah, I, I do think you're right. At times when the going gets tough for them, they they struggle to have that um, – mentality is not the right word. I mean, Jason Tatum idolizes Kobe Bryant. Yeah. The mama mentality the killer and all of that stuff. Like he, he definitely wants the ball in his hands, right? But yeah. It, that's one of the things when you have a team that it has so many skilled guys or talented guys mm-hmm. built around them and you come up together, you, you kind of are, are always maybe questioning, yeah. like, oh, I haven't had that great of a game. Should I give the ball to Jalen yeah. in yeah. these moments? Yeah. Or if you're you know the head coach, who do you draw up the play for at the end there? Mm-hmm. Like it's it, it should be an obvious answer, but in the moment it might not be sometimes. Yeah, there's not that guy there that's like, we're on a, we haven't scored for two minutes here. Golden State is absolutely killing us. We need to get a bucket here and stop the momentum. I'm going to do whatever it takes to take it to the rack, to get fouled, to, you know, like I'm getting the bucket. It's more of a team game, which is important, but when it comes down to those certain situations, right, where it's like one, two, three possessions that really define the game is where mm-hmm. it gets really tricky. Yeah, and they're the Warriors again. Give them credit; they're forcing the Celtics to be a three-point shooting team, which we've seen them, you know, have great games this postseason where they made over twenty threes in a game. But again, again, you you control the paint, you control the inside. Uh, Jason Tatum has had maybe a couple games, I would say, where he really was effective getting to the basket, and they were trying to get Curry switched on him so that he could just use his size. Yep. Uh, but the Warriors have done a really good job of of adjusting to that, making sure that they keep Wiggins close by or keep Draymond Green close by to hedge Tatum so that he can't use that size advantage on the smaller guards. And, and they have forced them, uh, like I said, to be to shoot everything pretty much from the outside. Also forgot to mention, Draymond Green fouled out again in this game, which is exciting as a fan to watch. Progressive G says, I'm still expecting a big game from Tatum. If he can put together two good games in a row, they can win this series. I mean, he had a good game in the last game. 27 points, 50% shooting from the field, over 50% from three-point range, 10 rebounds, four assists. Like, the dude had a a good game. game. Are you meaning he needs, like, two 40-point games in a row? Because... They need, to, they need to get scoring from somewhere. And if no one else is going to do it, then he's going to have to do it. But Yeah, yeah. easier said than done. Who do you think is going to score the most points for the Celtics in game six? I'll go with Tatum. You think it'll be Tatum? Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. I think it's time for Q&A. So if you guys have uh, any questions, feel free to drop them in the chat. And Calvin and I have some answers. Also want to thank everybody for watching. Please make sure you hit that like button. Please make sure you subscribe to the channel if you are not already. And I also want to remind everybody that we are giving away a $250 Fanatics gift card. I see some of you in the chat that have not entered in the contest to win the gift card. All you got to do is go back to the channel, find the Fanatics gift card video. It should be posted there. Watch the video. It's only 30 seconds long. Like the video and comment down below, and you will be entered in to win that $250 Fanatics gift card. Any last thoughts, Calvin, on Game 5? I mean, you said it's pretty much over at this point. I, 
I have to kind of agree with you. Uh, great season by Boston, but losing two in a row, and now they're heading, uh, you know, back to Boston gives them some advantage. But it's it a it's uh, a heck of a I mean, mountain they, to climb. They certainly have a chance, but yes, I, I would say that everything favors Golden State at this point. Um, and you know, for a young team, like they've already had or experienced some playoff success. Even before this, I think, what was it, 2018, they were in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, so this is a team that is going to be around for a long time. Yeah. If they keep that core together, I, I love where Boston is. I expect them to be back in this on this stage at some point very soon. I don't know if it will be next year or the year after that, but this is a team that will compete for titles I would say for uh, for a good number of years here moving forward. We have a couple days to talk about game 6 before it happens, but just kind of real quick your thoughts right now on what Boston needs to do to win game 6. They've got to figure it out on offense. Uh, like defensively they're fine. I mean, even if we've seen Steph go off in this series and they Boston has still done enough yep. defensively to put themselves in a position to win. But for them, it's about playing a complete game offensively. They have to come out with a uh, really good start. They can't be, you know, too lackadaisical or, or seem like the moment is too big for them sort of a thing here, which I, I don't expect them to do. But they definitely looked like that really flat in, in the beginning of Game 5. Uh, they, of course, turnovers is this the one stat, right, that you have to keep an eye on with Boston when they play. They've got to keep it under 16 turnovers. They're 13 and two in the postseason when they do that. One and seven, I think, when they don't. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. Tatum has to have a big game. Um, he's going to have to be really, really effective for them. And they're going to have to get contributions from guys like Marcus Smart, Al Horford in particular. Yep. And they'll probably need one person off the bench to give them just a little bit of a boost, you know, something like eight to 12 points, whether that's Derek White, who's had big games in this series, Peyton Pritchard, who's had big games in previous series. They need somebody to take a little bit of the pressure off that starting five. Yep. Techno Peasant says, do you guys think the Celtics need a true point guard, i.e. someone other than Marcus Smart? I think you're referring to like a pass first point guard, like maybe like a Rajon Rondo, which he's a free agent. Could be interesting to see Rondo return to this Celtics squad. What are your thoughts on, on the point guard situation in Boston? Um, I don't think that they need a true point guard actually. They 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 got so much better and you know, rocketed off of the the bottom of the standings really once they committed to Marcus Smart at point guard and they, mm -hmm. they quit with all these experiments, Kemba Walker and Schroeder and Kyrie Irving and yep. all this stuff that didn't work for them, but committing to Marcus Smart, letting him kind of, he doesn't totally run the show for them because you've got Tatum and Brown as well. And I think this is part of the development of Jason Tatum's game and even Jalen Brown a little bit, but more so Tatum because he's the guy that's asked to do a little bit more for them. Th these are bumps in the road for sure, but I think Boston is better off um, sticking with what they've got right now than trying to go out and ins insert another point guard in here. I feel yeah. like that would get, almost make them take a step backwards from all the progress that they've made. 
Yeah, I'm mixed on this because I, I like Marcus Smart a lot. But there's also times where this Boston team, like Progressive G says, I think they need another playmaker. I think there are certain times where, especially with a lot of these bench guys, where I'm like, who's getting their shot here? Who's running the offense? Uh, they do have some some playmakers, but like I said earlier, right, they don't have the guy that's like, give me the ball, I'm getting a bucket, it's over. And a lot of successful teams have a starter that can do that and a six-man or a bench guy that can do that as well. I think Boston's missing that. And then second off, like Al Horford, like what's happened with him? <laughs> I'm just going to keep throwing his name out there because I was like, this guy finally made it to the finals. Mm -hmm. He's pumped up. He's playing incredibly well. And uh, he did it all in game one and, and lost his mojo. He did. They, yeah, they definitely need another one of those games. That it, well, they need two more. And he's getting older too, right? So, like, he's probably going to be the next position of need that needs to be filled. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting situation. At least they have Robert Williams, so that, that definitely helps. What would you think about a guy like Rajon Rondo signing with the team and maybe playing off the bench? I think that could be great, playing off I feel the bench. Like, yeah. I feel like if he was yeah. on this team, they would not be down 3-2 right now. Maybe. Maybe. I, I mean, this series could also be over. Right, right now. Yeah. Like, if it wasn't for the first, the fourth quarter of game one, we're, we're talking about the Warriors winning a title today. So, it's it, true. I don't know if it's that easy necessarily, but um, I do like the addition of somebody like Rondo for this team if he's coming off the bench. I, I would not change their starting lineup yeah. next season, though. Even with Al Horford? Al Horford's the one question mark, but he's played so well yeah. in the postseason. It's like... Uh, all right, we can try it for one more year, you know? <laughs> They've been doing that for like four years with him. <laughs> then they well, like, I, we're going to try sending him to six, the Sixers. Right oh, we're going to bring him back again. Yeah. <laughs> Progressive G says they could use like a Lou Williams coming off the bench. Yeah, I mean. Uh, a Lou Williams from seven years ago. Yeah, just a guy that when they get into these like scoring droughts, you can just throw him out there. Like I would even say you could use an Isaiah Thomas, right? Like. The good one. The second the good, the one. Not, I mean, the, they're both good. The other the, one is much better. The but. good offensive one. Yeah. <laughs> the other one was pretty good on offense, too. <laughs> you could throw him out there and just, like, you need a guy that can get you buckets off the bench. That's what this team is yeah. really, really missing. Techno Peasant Maybe says. should go after Buddy Heald. In game six, do you think Celtics will play Curry closely like in game five or return to a more drop coverage plan as in the first four games? No, I think they have to stay away from the drop coverage uh, like the, I think they play him very similar to how they played him in game five yeah yeah I agree and yeah they just need so to figure you, out a score you just cannot afford to let Steph get off to a good you know he can't have another 20 point first quarter that would spell uh the end I think for Boston so you've got to you you have to uh chase him around the screens more yeah and I mean as as Calvin mentioned like the Celtics' defense hasn't been bad. Like, you allowed 108 points uh, in game one, uh, 107 in game two, game three, uh, 100 points, then 107, then 104. Like, your defense has been pretty consistent and pretty good. You just need to get some more scoring output. Like, three out of these games, they didn't even make it to 100, and they lost one all of them. They didn't even make 90. Yeah, they lost all three of those games. So 
Defense is important. That's what the Celtics do. But I think, like Calvin said, they need to find some more offense. They can't let Jordan Poole uh, bank around any more half-court three-point shots at the buzzer. That was ridiculous. That's true. But I will say, the re- Jordan Poole gets that shot because of Andrew Wiggins. Like, yes, it was a great shot. He's capable of making those in their back-breaking shots. You know, all of those buzzer-beater half-court shots are. But, again, that shot is more about Andrew Wiggins than it is about Jordan Poole. All Jordan Poole did was catch it with a second left and fling it at the backboard. Andrew Wiggins makes a huge defensive stop the, the play before that, gets the rebound, and kicks it, has the awareness to find Poole before the the quarter ends. So... Great shot by Jordan Poole, but Andrew Wiggins was the real reason why that was even a, a an opportunity for Golden State. Yeah, and that was an amazing shot. We saw that. We're like, no, it was in his hand. And we're like watching. Wow, that was close. It was in. Calvin, you think we'll see uh, fake Clay at game six? He's not banned in Boston. That's true. He's not banned. I don't know. If I just lost 10 grand on tickets and got banned, I probably wouldn't be spending the money to fly to Boston and go to the game. But who knows? Maybe the Celtics will uh, offer him. him. Yeah, I would. I would definitely. You don't think that's – you think that could be good karma for the Celtics? Yeah. Yeah, like let's bring fake clay in and uh, maybe let him warm up with the Warriors (laughs) and see what he does. I think that'd be pretty what pretty if, interesting. What if the Celtics went out and found like a fake Paul Pierce or a fake <laughs> Ray Allen or somebody and they let him warm up on the court before right, the game? Right. Doing it for the culture. Progressive G says, Do you feel like the officiating has been good or inconsistent? I don't think it's been bad. I mean, there's calls you're gonna agree with, there's calls you're not gonna agree with. It's the NBA finals. You have the best crew out there, the best crew. But what are your thoughts? Um, look, officials miss calls in every game, so whether it's a, an exhibition game or an NBA Finals game. People obviously take the calls that get missed in an NBA Finals game more seriously, and that makes a lot of sense. But uh, for the overall spectrum of how, an, how a group of officials calls a game, I think it's been right on par with what we've seen all season like it they miss they do miss calls Gary Payton did look like he tripped himself but when you see that in live time it looks like Grant Williams you know clips him from the back so do they miss calls yes um, but I don't think that the officiating has been awful or ridiculously bad by any stretch of the imagination yeah I mean it's just Sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. It's a tough uh it's a tough game with a lot of bang bang plays and it's very quick. You think that the uh the players have emotions in this game. Imagine how the officials feel when you're like, Okay, I gotta make this call. Did you see it? Okay, you didn't see it. Yeah. I'm the only one that saw it. All right, uh Boston ball. <laughs> very, very tough. It's odd how rarely the coaches challenge bad calls. The coaches challenge is tough. You know, it's yeah. there for a reason, but timeouts are so valuable especially late in these games they are that, and and you got to remember the the amount of time you have to choose to challenge a call is often very very short and you're waiting on your assistants to give you the word on whether or not they think you should they're trying to watch the replay themselves 
and you know that clock runs out so you it's a combination of what barry said you value your timeouts so much and you have such a small uh amount of time with everything else that is going on in the game at that at that moment to decide yes i want to challenge this call so yeah Yep. All right. You guys got any more questions before we wrap up the show? We will be back tomorrow, the same time, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We'll be talking about Game 6. We'll be talking about some more NBA rebuilds. We got, uh, I think we did eight teams already, so we got a ton left. And then uh, we're going to give you guys some insights on what we're doing next on NBA 2K. So make sure you guys stay tuned for tomorrow's show. Please hit the like button. Please hit the subscribe button. Please share this video with all your favorite basketball fans. And uh, we'll take a couple more questions here before we before we wrap it up. Ivan says, hopefully Boston can pull this out, but losing the last game may have settled the series. Yeah, I mean, that's what Calvin and I were it's talking about the tough. whole game. Was, yeah, it's going to be tough. You know, game four is is so important, but game five in a 2-2 series really, really sets the tone, especially if the team with home court wins game five because then they have game seven at home. Any last thoughts or anything you want to mention, Cal? Uh, good luck to the Celtics. <laughs> they got all the pressure in the world right now on them. Yeah. So hopefully they can get some good practices in between now and Thursday. Prove us wrong, Boston. Come out strong on Thursday. I want to see 120 points from you in game six. Let's get it going. Let's make it entertaining. 109 is probably going to be enough. Like, they don't even need 120. Progressive G says, I think Boston is going to play their asses off in game five. I think they had a chance, but they... They definitely will. If they don't bring effort, you know, of course they have no chance. That that should be a given, right? They're going to play hard. The Warriors are going to play hard too, though. So, yeah, it's about who executes better. We'll see what happens. Anyways, thank you guys so much for watching. We appreciate you all for taking the time out of your day to hang out with us. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, you guys have a good one, and don't forget to tip your bartender.